0: Hello and welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, a show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and on this episode, our host Don Cooper is joined by Todd Snellgrove for his final of three episodes with us to talk about value creation in all aspects of a successful business. Todd is a senior member of Experts in Value, driving value-focused selling and culture language to help businesses create and maintain high-value creation for their clients, Todd is also a director and editor of the book, Value First, Then Price, Qualifying Value in Business to Business Markets from the Perspective of Both Buyers and Sellers. Todd is on two more episodes of the podcast out at the same time as this one, so make sure you check those out and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any in the future. But with all that said, I truly do hope you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier podcast. So
1: many companies have so much, you know, we all have so much emotional connection to how valuable we think we are, and how different we think we are, that we don't actually take the time to clearly define our differences, and then quantify the value. We say things like, we've got great people, we've got great training, we've got great engineering, we've got great productivity, and we've got great material, and we've got great safety. What I tell people is, do you think your competitor says that their people suck and their productivity is garbage and they have a terrible safety record? I've never heard a company on the planet say, hire us, we suck.
2: Yep, 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 yep. And one way, it's an exercise I do, um, is, is whenever you say a benefit statement, more reliable, uh-huh. uh, more training, closer to the customer, whatever that is, keep asking yourself the question, so what? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and this is why I think it's. I think people ask me how I hate to say was successful at SKF. I said, as I wasn't an engineer, mm-hmm. I didn't take anything for granted. I asked and thank you all my colleagues over the years for looking at me. Going seriously, you're asking that question, but if I kept asking the question, so what? Eventually, I get to a number real yeah. quickly. True story. Uh, it's it's funny. So. SKF turns hundred years old in whatever year, 2007, they spent zillions of dollars uh, designing a bearing that uses less energy, mm-hmm. less friction. Okay, we're in Sweden, executive management meeting. And I'd say they, they start off with this new thing. I'm not here to do a sales pitch, but you know uh, it's gonna use less energy, et cetera. And they spent most of the presentation on the how. And of course yeah. the people wanna know, I mean, this isn't a marketing thing, Todd. We wanna know how is this technically feasible? And uh, going, they, they, then they get to the fun part for me, the benefit statement. So it they, yeah. they lead to the benefit, they should have started with it, but, and they go, and it's gonna run cooler. And you hear everybody, ah. And my buddy beside me, remember I've been in the business now 20 years already. I, why does it matter what the temperature of a bearing is? Because I've been in paper mill, steel mills, they're big outdoor facilities, I mean, again, I don't know, even know what the temperature it runs at now, but if it's one degree, who cares? Like yeah. you have to put an air conditioner when on. Walk through, when you walk through a, a a paper mill, it's hot and steamy. <laughs> yeah, to begin with. So I'm like what you gotta turn the air conditioning on to turn the thing down. And he looks at me and he goes, You're an idiot. And I go, Okay, point point taken, but why? Everybody in the world knows, Todd, there's a direct correlation between the bearing operating temperature and the lubricant life. And I'm gonna make up numbers, but for every degree or whatever degrees of temperature change, it reduces the lubricant life by 50%. I'm like, so less temperature, lubricant life lasts longer. Yeah. Well, if lubricant life lasts longer, that means you're going to use less lubricant. Yeah. Which means you're going to dispose of less lubricant. Yeah. Which means, well, why didn't you say that? You made me make the assumption that I knew what cooler was. And I. how many people that are, engineers and again probably all the engineers are laughing but of course we knew that the procurement person didn't yeah i I wouldn't know that now you say look at you're gonna spend this much more how much money do you spend on industrial lubricants x what percentage of that goes into bearings ah we don't know let's say it's 10 percent. okay fine seems reasonable okay boom what do you pay for it ah let's use a range okay you know then we've got the labor and the amount i mean it turned out the value proposition of lubricant savings was the biggest value driver, not the energy, because the energy of the right. bearing was so small. The point being, by asking the dumb questions, grab your buddies, take them out for a beer, and you know, give them a value proposition and see if they understand it. If somebody that's not from the industry can't understand the value proposition, it's probably not clear. Yeah. And, and, and it's another set of eyes. Sorry to to go on there, but again, it's one of those things. No,
1: but I think I think that's so important because. You know, for the customer who's buying the bearing, particularly the buyer, if one bearing is a thousand dollars and your bearing is two thousand dollars, and the 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 brochure or the talking head says, Yeah, yeah but our bearing is cooler. <laughs>
2: exactly. you know, I mean,
1: what you I mean, literally what the procurement guy is going to say is so what? Yeah, who yeah. cares? Yep, yeah, exactly. Why should I care? You're not telling me why I should care so I don't care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so what? Well, cooler means longer life of the bearing cooler means longer, less lubricant cooler means you're going to get twice as much out of the lubricant and the bearing and the lifespan of the entire system and the value, the the cost savings there is that yes you're going to spend $2000 on a bearing but you're going to save $6000 on lubricant over the life of the bearing
2: yep. so there's an ROI of 500% yeah
1: now yeah, you yeah. Now, now our $2000 bearing created $5000 in extra value yep. minus the $1000 in extra cost and yep. now It's a $4,000 value proposition.
2: Yep, yep. And that's hard value. There's no,
1: and that's hard value. And that's not apples to apples. That's apples to bananas.
2: And and that's where procurement says to me, the problem with you salespeople is you don't do that for me. Yeah. I've got 50 variations, but you know, you use these words, you don't put numbers to it, or they're so vague, I don't know. or, Or, you know, when I push you on it, you say, oh, the brochure says so. Yeah. So, um, you know, you know, take the time and effort and the way to do it is to follow the life of your product or service, see where the touch points are, where you can affect it, start asking yourself those questions, so what, then start putting some ranges of impact, right. okay, and they don't need to be perfect, they just need to be numbers to start, because what I'm doing as a person buying is, I know what your price is, I know what your competitor's price is, now what I'm looking at is, what is the expected value Worst case, best case. Now, I mean, if your value is this much and you're asking me to pay this much, that's a risk reward. Uh, yeah. But if it's worst case, best case, this case, and you've done it 900 times and it's way up here, what I really care about, and and, and sorry for the language, Don, but it's to cover my ass. You're yeah. asking me to spend, you know, 10% more, so that's 10 grand more. And I used to love. Yeah, I mean, it all- you know,
1: for for the buyer. Certainly, you know, depending on the buying organization, they might be getting measured on price savings. And so in order to get them to be your champion for change, you better give them ammunition to cover their butts, to justify them hanging themselves out there saying, no, this is the better choice. Now I found those people over the years who, and they, but they were almost always, Veterans who knew the facility, knew the business, and they had a lot of confidence in, hey, we've done this 15 ways wrong before. This is the better decision. But most, you know, all of the new, you know, going from buyer to procurement to supply chain professionals, they don't know the business they're operating. They know supply chain practices, and they're not going to do the math on what I would call strategic byproducts of the value creation, mm-hmm. you know, like you bear, they're buying two bearings, as you put it, but the real savings is in the
2: lubricant. Mm-hmm. That's where the big money is. And, and, and just, you said, you know, there's a big assumption that people think that procurement measured on price savings. And that's where you come back say, are you measuring on price savings or cost savings? Right. Well, oh, that cost. Okay. Now what they mean though, is not, I, you know, I did a free training program. No, no. They gotta be hard cost savings, but and I'm not gonna say I've won every order, but I've never lost it as long as the cost season have been hard. Right. I've, you know, I've signed agreements there saying, okay, we're willing to, we're really gonna make this happen and, 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 the, and the like. Um, and I think the, the other point, when you walk the life of your product or service, you will find these unintended consequences or these opportunities that are huge. So real quick story, paper company, my company, and of course, everybody wants to focus on the big dollars. The big machine, the big turnarounds, whatever it is, right? And I was at a, the head office, and I was with a colleague, and we were walking the facility while my friends were in talking about some of the commercial delivery times and that type of stuff. And I, I didn't realize how many pumps existed in a paper mill. Oh Again, my god! Not an, yeah. not an engineer. Hundreds. <laughs> and, and and I said to my my very smart colleague who came from the industry, I said, I didn't know this. And He goes, Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I said, any idea what life they get out of those pumps? And he smiled. He goes, that's a great question because last year when I was here, they had put in a Six Sigma continuous improvement program to extend the life. Okay. So we get back into the office, and the typical end of the meeting question, you know, from our team to, to the paper mill company was, are you having any problems? And the customer said, nope, all's good, i.e., the paper machines are good, all the vibration readings are good, everybody's happy. And I said, Quick question, John just mentioned that you guys had a program on your pumps, these ANSI pumps and I don't, you know, 31, that would got very specific into the type of pumps. And guys oh. said, yeah, uh, and it, these are approximate numbers because it's a long time ago. The customer said, yeah, uh, we were getting on average a mean time between repair. Again, we won't get into a discussion of what repair versus failure versus, I mean, again, fine. Uh, something like they were getting 30 months on average They put a program in place and got it to 36 months. And he said, that. then we closed out the project. Six Sigma closed it out, whatever that's called. And I said, that's great, that's great. Well, good for you, 20% increase of life. You know, six months over 30 months, great for you. But the reason why I was asking is that I know that our company's done some work with one of the big oil and gas companies and pumps are very important to them. And they're getting almost 14 years out of that same type of pump. And people, they go, shut up, really? A pump is a pump. A pump doesn't know what country, again, there are variations of temperature and the like, but I mean, a pump's a pump. It doesn't know what where it is. It's just pumping something in general. Yeah. And they were like, really? And I'm not saying you're going to go from whatever, thirty three years to 14 years, but that's the best case scenario. Then I just got up on the board and said, you're spending $4,000 to replace these pumps, just buying the pump. The quick math was, if they could increase the life of their pumps halfway, where the best in the class was was worth more than their total bearing spend within the whole facility they went no way we thought because they were low dollar value they were not critical assets that didn't affect production that it didn't matter so the i think the key takeaway learning there was one that's called the reframe but you know i only know what good is based on my own experience so if i'm used to getting 30 months now i get 36 that's good our job is to show them there's a better way and bring examples from other industries Mm-hmm. And they specifically said to me, and this was before the Challenger existed Todd, that's what we want our suppliers to do. Help us be better where we didn't know there was a chance to be better. Don't come in and tell me how to run a paper machine. I'm yeah. the biggest paper company in the world. I know what I'm doing. I want to know what I don't know. Yeah. So that was one. And then, two, putting the number there was like, holy crap. And then the final point, Don, which I think is a great closing technique for sales, is look, it, you're here. Best in class is here. I believe. That if each pump lasted six weeks longer, which is a rounding error, it was going to pay for this big investment. Right. And they looked and they said, "You want to know what? That makes me feel comfortable." I, you know. And I, the joke was, our people with your people staring at your pumps will make them last longer, just by having <laughs> a focus on it. Will right? Because there's right. You know, a program. So it's our job to pl- not play with the numbers, but to do the numbers and say, "Look, it. It's not a very risky situation." best in classes here it wouldn't be great if yes 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 we all know that'd be great but you're telling me a small improvement pays for all this so whenever i do value quantification i have this number in there minimum improvement required and that's usually where people go wow i only need to be one percent more effective that pays for all this i need you to do it one day quicker than the other guy and it pays for your price being worth that these are not num- it's a different way to present the numbers where people nod. And yeah. like I
1: right. love the so, wow. I love the concept of reframing the conversation around what's what what value is really being created. But you know, but the customer just wants the cheapest price. So how do sales people, how do you teach salespeople to respond to that? Just
2: give me the cheap rates. Yep, 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 yep. I mean, I, I honestly I respond, I say, do you mean the lowest price or the lowest cost? And I'm not joking, they say, well, that's what I meant. No, when you're looking at what I do, this is what price is, the $1,000 bearing, and this is what cost. Yeah. And then I've got, thank goodness, a ton of research, which again, over the years of, you're looking at the wrong number. And then yeah. it, 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 I've got to get you to rethink of it. Now, some of it is storytelling and a great one that anybody can use. Uh, I think you said there might be some people from the UK on here, but yeah. we all have low priced airlines in Absolutely. our market. Okay, pick the name, but I believe what we shouldn't be talking about safety. Everybody that's approved to fly is going to be safe. Yeah. That's table stakes. Yeah. And comfort. It's an hour flight from here to there. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, fine. Okay. So your, your value proposition isn't resonating with me, but it's the total cost and risk of where I am to where I'm going to be. Yeah. so real quickly so this is a but everybody could take the story and put it in their own world we used to spend a fair amount of time in London downtown and then sometimes I would go to Paris afterwards and I was with the Scottish guy this procurement guy and we finished our session downtown at uh, LBS and he'd say well you have time for a pint and the Heathrow Express was basically right there at Paddington yep so, I've been there okay it runs it runs every 15 minutes to Heathrow it takes 15 minutes so if you missed the last train, the worst case scenario is taking you 30 minutes to get to Heathrow right. it, within any European flight. So one hour, plus I've got all the statuses. So, you know, I knew two hours was the total worst case scenario I needed. So yeah. we'll say, okay, fine. The flight's at, um, whatever, four o'clock, you know, we've got time. Let's go. Fine. We have, you know, we can, de- uh, you know, catch up, have a laugh, blah, blah, blah. And we finished one day. And, uh, my colleague had said to me the last time he, was there, he goes, why don't you fly, uh, Ryanair, EasyJet, or one of these. And I said, Yeah, oh, you want to know what? Good company person. Instead of it being $200 flight, it's a $100 flight. 100 bucks. I'll spend that money somewhere else. It's a $300. Why not? Okay, great. Finish the session, walk out. He goes, What time's your flight? And I pull out my phone and look at it. I go, I got to be at a London airport. And he goes, Oh, crap. Uh, you've got to be a Gatwick.
1: The Gatwick. Oh, my goodness.
2: Oh, oops. Oops. Okay. Where's the, tr- where's the fast train to Gatwick? Well, he started laughing. Yeah. This was a, a long time ago. And it's like, uh, there is no fast train to Gatwick. Um, well, how do I get there? What time's your flight at? And I said, well, the same thing. I have this two and a half hours. He goes, Oh God, we got to get you going now. We're going to have to put you in a black cab. And back in the day, the cabs didn't take credit cards. Yeah. And so he had to pay 60 pounds cash. It's in the book. So he still owe you that 60 pounds, I think. So he had to pay yeah. that. Then I get there, then I get a, get charged because I check in and have a bag and you know I'm in Europe for 10 days. Yep. Then we get in the plane, I'm thirsty, you know, I get a Diet Coke, whatever, a pound for that. Whatever, just get me to Paris, right? Land, the The pilot comes out, welcome to Paris. And I look outside, I'm going, geez.
1: And you're not at Charles de Gaulle.
2: Oh, I'm not at Charles de Gaulle. And I had learned over time that Charles de Gaulle is great. You never want to fight Paris traffic during mm-hmm. rush hour, but there's a high-speed train downstairs which takes you into town. Once you're in town, you can take a cab or walk to the hotel that I used to stay at. All right. So I'm at Orly, the tourist airport, which at the time was take a bus, take a this, take a this. I'm like, or they, or you could rent a car. No, I'm not renting a car to drive into town to park it in a hotel for three days. Imagine that cost. So again, in this case, I had to take a Euro cab. Yeah. The total cost was three times the price taking the low price carrier. Yep. And, you know, so it wasn't just the check bag, It's like, Hey, three, hey. three times the total price, t-
1: total cost compared to the cheap exactly. price. Exactly.
2: And if you were to put that on a website like this, this, and this, I think it might not resonate, but get that story out. What a great commercial. Yeah. It makes you think it makes you stop yeah. and think and go, wow. Well, wow. I
1: think that that's, you know, when you focus on the price of the unit, that's the potential that can happen and so I really want to have this in balance. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about what companies and salespeople need to be doing to, to quantify the value and communicate that in storytelling, I think is important. What can the buying organization do to capture that same value and understand, should they you know, should they be you know, engaging with suppliers in a different way? Should they be teaching their people a different way of figuring out how to quantify what matters. Like what's the, what's the special sauce for that oil company that is faced with trying to lower their costs.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a, a bunch of things. I mean, the, the, the first change is for the strategic direction to say, I want my supply chain to buy best value. Okay? Right. When I say best value, I don't mean lowest price, price is part of that. But to say, you know, as a company, I want to be more profitable. I want to be more sustainably profitable. Because I can any company can be more profitable next month by cutting up maintenance as an example. But yeah. that's we all know that's a, a big expense in the future. So it's okay. And setting my KPIs around that. So one funny thing I just tell procurement people is I say, every time you set out a proposal, specifically say, please describe and document how you will make me more profitable. In the bid process, it will be weighted the following. So one of the white papers that I've been involved with says, you know, look at the the bid will be based on, sorry, the winner of the bid will be based on best value. We measure value by looking at all these costs and benefits and this is the weighting system we use. The problem we have is salespeople think procurement doesn't care about value. So Correct. maybe we don't do the work or we don't bother to quantify it because, you know, all they care about is price and they don't do a good job of saying, what I want is that and here's how I'm going to measure it. If Correct. I was a procurement organization, I would have a system tool and process that says, here's what I value, energy saving. Again, to some companies, energy savings might be 0.0001%. To other, it's a huge percent. So I would also say, here's how I quantify it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really, really interesting thing. I learned a long time ago, you know, in these sorts of situations to actually intentionally ask, how are you measuring and evaluating this, this proposal, this request, and what's your weighting system? Mm-hmm. And they get nervous even wanting to share that. Mm-hmm. And like, how are you going to get value if you don't communicate how you are measuring value?
2: But I think that's one of those things to ask. So similar question, a procurement person said, I don't want to tell people what numbers I use and what I value because once they realize they're delivering a lot of value to me, they're going to try to charge me for it. So there's two things there. My procurement gentleman that I mentioned, Rob McGuire from the book, he goes, Todd, you don't understand. I teach procurement people and I used to do it myself. It's called the strategy of stupidity. If I play dumb, you will give me a lot of value and not charge me for it. The second I tell you it's worth something, you're going to say, ah, see, pr- I proved it. So be careful. That's that's what I'm doing like subconsciously. And you're going to continue to, to do these things. And I said, okay, what, well, you know, here's the problem. If you don't tell me you care about energy or you tell me that energy is not a big deal. For example, my smart person, not me, my smart person is going to walk to your facility and go, my God, look how they're doing that now. I can help them fix that but you told me not to do it by you right. not telling me what you care about. You're not going to get the value. Right. And there's a lot of research again, that says people that buy this way. So I spend a lot of time helping sales teams saying, you know, we're not there to tell procurement how to buy. What I'm trying to do is give them the power, the knowledge and the comfort that this is the right thing to do. Right. To make third good informed
1: forms, decisions.
2: Yeah. These third party research points saying, Hey, you know, so, you know, we need to buy this way. Right. And then again, when, if somebody doesn't tell you, throw out a challenge. So if I could save you or make you $100,000 more profitable by changing the way we do this, that wouldn't be of any interest to you. And see what the react. well, wait a minute. Wait, how could, you could do that? I didn't know you could do that. How? Okay, now we have a different discussion, but we've got to be a little more provocative. I'm not saying being arrogant. And I'm not saying just throwing out bold numbers all the time. But, you know, I've looked at facilities like this and I think there's probably a half million dollar improvement of how we could do this. Yeah. Let's, let's sit together and, and I can show you what we do and how we do it. But get my attention by throwing that number out there. Yeah. Todd, where
1: do people get your book?
2: Um, Amazon or any other place you get on, on online. I mean, uh, and, and, and Don, reviews always appreciate it so uh, i'll make
1: sure i go on there after this recording and give you a great review because i actually bought your book a couple of months ago when we first met Mm -hmm. um value first then price and uh and i've i've been talking about it with my team ever since i got it and ever since we talked because i just think that you know you have found yourself a niche and you found yourself a niche where you can be uh, the whisperer for both procurement and sellers. And I think that that's a really great place. Cause I think it creates a bridge that those two organizations don't need to be
2: rivals. Right. And I think that's one thing just to always sit there and put yourself in the other person's situation. Yeah. You know, stop and think, what are they thinking? Cause I think you have a different conversation that way and say, you know, what? You know what, um, again, I've been lucky just to, to spend time with all these procurement associations around the world and, uh, you know, hopefully help them rethink but they're saying to me specifically they want value yeah you know, they, they might not but say they, the need, value. They, need,
1: they need help quantifying it yep. so yep. that they can make better decisions
2: and to help quantify it finding it too like i said if the pumps are always lasting that long i didn't know that was an improvement right right i mean i mean companies that do this are more profitable and it's our job to go out there and shake the. Tree. i find it
1: i found it really interesting that that when, when, when buying organizations focus on value, they're 35.5% more profitable. and When selling organizations uh, focus on value, they're 36% more profitable. That's not a
2: coincidence. Amazing. But it's amazing. It's really,
1: that, really intriguing.
2: Just, just think as a company, by changing the way you buy, I mean, what a huge impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, wow. I mean, in a lot of industries, I mean, every points, everything, you know, so let's stop fighting each other over a 5% price difference and say, fine, but you better deliver me value that exceeds that. Cause I want a return for that investment yeah. and it better be real value. Not just cause you're fun to go out for dinner with when you're in town. Yeah. I, you know, I prefer to work with somebody that I like, but I can't pay for that. I mean, yeah. uh, bring me, bring me something tangible.
1: How do people work with you, Todd? Like what ways do you work with companies?
2: Um, gambits from long-term consulting project specifics, and, you know, from keynotes, uh, sales conferences, ongoing coaching. I have some clients that I've worked with now that I'm kind of there. We, we joke sales coach on demand, like, Hey, here's our situation. what do you think? How can we rethink this? Do you have any research? Do you have that? So, uh, I mean, the website that the experts in value websites got a lot of, I think, great videos on there. And there's probably 10 of them. Some of them are me just standing on stage talking. Uh, a lot of white papers, uh, a chapter from the book, but a bunch of other white papers and the like. And uh, it gets more specifically on, you know, how do you price for value? How do you build a services business? How do you contract for this? How do you communicate value? And then of course, how do you quantify it? I mean, that's where it all starts. Really getting an understanding of what value do I offer? How could I measure that? Who does that impact on my customers? And what are some reasonable places to start? And what tools could I have to you know, make this systematic? So it's not a, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or the back of a piece of paper, but there's tools and systems that exist. Um, some companies choose to build their own. I suggest that there's three or four great suppliers out there that have a software. Again, the software is just a software. You've got to put the data in the software to make it a value, but uh, you know, and, that's how I'm uh, you know, available to help companies become more profitable and, and take that value they create and really get better at uh, getting paid for it.
1: Fantastic. www.expertsinvalue.com. Todd Snellgrove. Todd, thanks for coming on the show. This was fantastic.
2: Don, great seeing you again and all the best. And uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up in six months or a year and tell more stories because. Uh, Absolutely. I <laughs> love, I love, I love the
1: stories that you tell because the value that gets uncovered is often not obvious when you're just looking at unit rates is it
2: uh, yes 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 and we all can say you know sell value but how when why give me give you some stories that i can use and i can resonate put some meat on the bone as it were you got it thanks todd cheers don all the best
0: And there you have it. Thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with or learn more about Don or Todd and what they both do, then you can do so anytime through their links in the episode description. Make sure you leave the show a five-star rating, it truly does help us out a lot, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any future episodes. But with all that said, I thank you so much for listening again, and we can't wait to see you next time on the Amplifier Podcast.